0: And now, the Houston Football Show with your hosts, Aaron Wilson and Jason Braddock. Welcome into Season 1, Episode 3 of the Houston Football Show. I'm Jason Braddock, and alongside me, it's Aaron Wilson, NFL insider, Texans insider for Pro Football Network, and also producing the show for us. We have Mark Lawson uh, giving us that professional production value, one of the owners from iLogic Media. So we're going to get right into the show. It's game week. We've actually got football to be played. Preseason kicks off this week, but... First, let me bring in my co-host, Aaron Wilson, because he's been a busy man today all day long. Not only was he out at training camp this morning, but then the breaking news has come out. We're going to jump right into that breaking news. Texans have a trade that came down. Aaron, hit us with it.
1: Right. Yeah, they traded for Miami Dolphins tight end Adam Shaheen. And, you know, it's interesting to pick up a guy like him when you think about Adam former second-round pick, former basketball player, second-round pick of the Bears from Ashland University. And they get him. You know, I thought this was a pretty good trade for the Texans because we've been talking about the high amount of reps for Farrell Brown and Brevin Jordan that eventually can lead to overload, uh, wear and tear with joints and muscles. So, yeah, when you think about adding Adam who was in a log jam at tight end with the dolphins. This is a nice fit to get him in here. And, you know, he's a big guy. He's about six foot seven, about 260 pounds. So he's a lunch pail type guy has that offensive lineman mentality that he'll block. He'll do whatever you ask him to. And it wasn't like it was, you know, a very, you know, big amount of draft capital. So, you know, they, Get us, you know, give them a 2023 sixth-round pick. And the Texans pick up the seventh-round pick and Adam Shaheen, who I think will make their team. He's got 50 career catches, 509 yards, seven touchdowns. And, you know, he started 12 games for the Dolphins since the trade from the Bears a couple of years ago. And everything I've heard about him, a uh, very good guy, should fit him well. And Anthony Eau Claire is still out with a sprained knee. So they add Adam Shaheen and – he joins a room where at the top two tight ends are Farrell Brown and Brevin Jordan. And there's an opportunity, I think for Seth green, if Anthony Eau Claire stays out much longer uh, and he could be out until possibly as long as the first game. So we'll see what happens. Maybe Seth green goes from practice squad candidate to someone that has a chance to make the 53 man roster. That you have some flexibility with guys that can be H back types like Paul Quesenbury and, Andy Janovich, but they're not inline tight ends. So,
0: absolutely, we'll you see talk what they value about,
1: and how they go you, about it. Yeah,
0: you talk about Anthony uh, R. there, and you bring up him. Obviously, he's been out with an injury. Do you have any update on that?
1: Yeah, I was saying he has a sprained knee, and it's going to be touch and go for the start of the season. But he has not been ruled out for the first game of the season, possibly being back. So.
0: And as you mentioned with that, he provides that type of depth. Like the Adam Shaheen trade trade makes a lot of sense because Aaron, like you were saying, we've talked about the usage 12 personnel where Brevin Jordan and Pharaoh Brown's going to be out on that field a lot together. Uh, Not only that, when you give them breather, you have to have that depth one that can fill that Pharaoh Brown role, at least to some degree. And that's what Adam Shaheen does via this trade coming in. And also uh, Seth Green, you talk about, I think If Anthony Auclair misses any time, I love the point you bring up about Seth Green because he could fill in some of the things that Brevin Jordan does, obviously not at that same level. But uh, Tegan uh, Quitoriano, here's a guy that he's been banged up through most of camp. Does this trade for Shaheen signal anything for him? Like, Does this mean he's more likely a practice uh, candidate now?
1: No, they wouldn't do that with a draft pick like him. I think more likely – you know, they would see what his health is like at the end of the preseason. Does he need to go on injured reserve? You know, would they stash him that way? Uh, right. Him kind of red shirt this year, if you will, um, as they did in the past with Kahali wearing, uh, Right. Not great results, but, you know, you've seen that happen with young players before. With Tegan, you know, I think there's scenarios where he's the fourth tight end and it could be Eau Claire that could be an IR or whatever. They They have some flexibility now. Uh, but the numbers yes. were not good. And, you know, a lot of this, you know, it's necessitated by an injury. And there's another injury, which uh, we have first reported. And, uh, yeah, let's get into it. with. The yeah, there's
0: the la- that's the uh, other bit of breaking news you had before we went live this evening. Someone that um, – Has had a bit of bad luck, and I'll let you explain what he's had to deal with this offseason. And then once that cleared up, uh, we've been talking about how he's really started to come on the last couple days before this unfortunate news.
1: We thought he was going to have a chance to get one of the final roster spots, right? You know, Darius Jet Anderson, former TCU standout, local guy, George Ranch High School, uh, he has dislocated his knee, he has injured ligaments inside of the knee, he is having surgery. Today and uh, He is out for the season So very unfortunate He got hurt early in the practice Kind of a freak accident And dislocates it and obviously a very painful Injury, very big setback And this is just days after Last week when He was cleared They dropped these Burglary with intent to commit assault Charges and there was actually, as I'd said before It would get cleared up, there was a Uh, surveillance video, security footage that showed that he was allowed to enter the uh, residence of his former girlfriend. And so he beats this case. And you know, as his agent, Harold Lewis, said to me, when you're arrested, it's on page one. When you're absolved, it's on page 26. And uh, we did our best to make sure that it was just as prominent. Uh, And I did an interview with him and you know, let him share his thoughts and his lawyer, Kelly Benavides, her thoughts. And they were very thankful because the Texans did something that not every team does. They stuck with him, Great point. allowed him the time to resolve his case. They showed faith and trust in the player. And I I would say they didn't do it for cred in the locker room. They just did it because it was the right thing to do. And so that's Nick Casario. That's Kyle McNair. Mm -hmm. That's, Lovey Smith, that's Jack Easterby. So they, they had faith in their player. And this isn't even one of their starters. So I thought it was commendable of the Texans uh, to give him the benefit of the doubt. Because normally what happens when you're not a starter or a star player even, they cut you and say, hey, let us know if it works out. Maybe we can bring you back later. And that's not what they did. They let him practice. And you saw Nick Kassara at the start of camp say there'll be a resolution. There's been a lot of misinformation. And he right. was hinting around at that the case wasn't very good. And uh, the girlfriend actually recanted, but you know, he has that hard luck and then more today dislocating the knee and now out for the season. So I feel terrible for Darius Anderson and uh, very unfortunate. And yeah, he had worked very hard and was doing a good job. And now this
0: is it. His season is over before it ever started. And in in this case, Darius Anderson is not the only one here with tumultuous news here of late. Give us a rundown of the last couple of days for Titus Howard and what kind of transpired at practice today or what you're hearing. Well, Titus tested positive for
1: COVID-19 last week and was not experiencing major symptoms. Uh, John Weeks, long snapper, also tested positive. Both returned to practice. And it was a very hot day and Titus, it was pretty evident, was struggling toward the end of the practice. And so he left the field with the trainer, whether they have him resume tomorrow or have him kind of get a day of rest. I would think a day of rest might be in order. Uh, but yeah, we'll see I, I day think day. that would be Those, smart.
0: Yeah. With what, uh, what we saw today, Aaron. It, yeah. With what we saw today, Aaron, I I would exercise uh, extreme caution, as they would say, Aaron, because uh, it helps way more important than preparing for a preseason week one. So yeah, I'm right there with you, Aaron. I I, I hope we see him get a rest day tomorrow and maybe throughout the rest of the week. Uh, that that's the priority now. Staying on that offensive line and something with that offensive line that got Texas fans excited this offseason was not only Titus going back out the right tackle, but also the drafting of first round pick Kenyon Green. And with the unfortunate t- Titus Howard news here of late, uh there's also been some things Kenyon Green has been dealing with. Can you catch up us all, catch us up with that? And who has been filling in for him in his stay?
1: Right. Max Sharping has been filling in at left guard and Kenyon is dealing with a knee injury. He had an LCL procedure in the off season. And then he had worked his way back, but now he's still dealing with soreness and uh, not sure about swelling, but definite soreness. And they've now got him to where he's attending the meetings again. And George Warhop, the offensive line coach uh, expressed confidence that he will eventually be back and that people will see why they drafted him so high. And he also commented on Titus and he said, there's ramp up. He said, you know, he was in excellent shape before there's no issues matter of days before he gets his wind back. So uh as you know it was obvious that he you know didn't feel great and they had to check
0: on him but I'll say this I thought it was a very hot day It absolutely was. And because of that heat, I mean, we've got a couple more injuries I want to touch on quickly here in a second, Aaron. But with you bringing up that heat, not only the heat, but also going up against your own teammate. We saw that bowl over a little bit in practice today. So it's good that they finally get to start hitting each other this Saturday night against the Saints. And I'll let you fill the listeners in on what transpired down there. in Some gold line drills between a running back and a rookie corner. People might want to hear about.
1: Right. Yeah. It got a little feisty out there between Rex Burkhead, uh, one of the most respected pros on the team and their first round draft pick rookie corner, Derek Stingley, a little shoving match. And, you know, Rex actually did not. uh, It it didn't last very long and walked away, but you saw Jalen Petrie come to Stingley's defense and shove Burkhead and then it got broke up. But uh, evidently, Burke didn't like something that Stingley did after one of his runs. Who knows? Maybe there were some words exchanged too. But yeah, I thought that was interesting to see a little feistiness from Derek against a very, you know, much bigger running back. Uh, I think Rex is about almost 230 pounds. But yeah, and uh, you no know, known uh, universe in that locker room is a, a good guy. But right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, he got mad. Uh, but you know, Rex has been doing this a while, so I wonder if Derek uh, you know, did
0: something that to earn that, you know, well, or, or or vice versa. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe there's a little ump like at the end of that run in that and mad go on.
1: first and mad at
0: I saw the Stingley shove and uh, Kim Davis, love Kim Davis. She's been covering Houston professional football uh, as long as John McClay. And she's right next to me when it happens, like Derek Stingley showing you that he's not going to back down. I thought that was an excellent point because he's quiet, Aaron. Uh, As you hear hear people talk about, even though his cornerback coach today did mention that he asked a lot of questions in meeting and he was surprised by how vocal he was in meeting because how quiet is on the field. But he showed the other side of that personality, you know, don't take his kindness for a weakness.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. You do have to let people know where you stand sometimes. And I think as a young player, you have to establish yourself so you don't want to be soft obviously, in any situation, but especially football.
0: Yeah, speaking of a couple other young players, that linebacker core, uh, I think fans are really excited. Obviously, to see Christian Harris, even Lovey Smith was excited to see Christian Harris. If we go back to draft day, also Garrett Wallow, uh, his teammates rave about him. His coaches, teammates, all talk about how smart he is to play all three linebacker position. But both of these guys are dealing with something. Can you catch us up with that? And if it looks like, do you believe they have a shot at that starting rotation, or they're going to be depth here? 2022.
1: Right. I mean, the depth chart says Kevin Pierre-Lewis is starting, which mm. isn't quite what we've been seeing at practice, right? We haven't seen a lot of of KPL, but remember, that's unofficial depth chart, so I wouldn't right you listen to that. a ton of stock in that, but yeah, um, Garrett Wallow has an ankle injury and he was able to put weight on it, but he was eventually carted off the field, so yeah, Garrett has an injury and, and we'll see how long that keeps him out, you know, if he's going to have to miss any time. Uh, we haven't Heard yet if he's going to be sidelined for you know short term, long term, uh, generally with an ankle, you know it depends on the severity and the grade of the sprain. And then uh, yeah, with Christian Harris, he has a soft tissue injury, a hamstring, and he is going to, I believe, you know at least miss the first preseason game because he's not even practicing yet. But he is right. moving a little bit better. He's making some progress, and I think the uh, it's healing. But for now. Yeah, sort of to be continued on whether they're going to earn a starting job, but got to get healthy first before you can. Uh,
0: You mentioned that starting job one hundred percent. Sorry about cutting you off there, Aaron, but you did mention that unofficial depth chart, and like, let's just hit this. Like a quick two-minute drill here. And look at some of these positions. And you mentioned the keyword being unofficial on these depth charts. Read a little bit between the line with what you've been seeing at practice and what the depth chart's saying. Starting at that running back position, we see two guys at the top and then a rookie people want to know about.
1: Right. Yeah. They're saying that it's Marlon Mack or Rex Burke. Yeah, that's a little bit of deference to Rex, who did end the season as a starter, and then Damian Pierce is listed as on the third string, but really right. what we've seen in the reps is more Mac is, you know, running back one and he's like running back two. So, and Burkhead works in, but yeah, I mean, there've been some times where Rex has worked with the ones. I think, uh, you know, they're going to work out some running backs with Darius Anderson out for the season uh, tomorrow. Don't know who yet. No one running back that had turned down a chance to work out for the Texans. Jaquan Hardy. He is likely to sign with the Denver Broncos. So, he was on a flight on his way to Houston and then he has an offer from the Broncos. So he's going to take that offer. If he passes the physical, then he'll be signing with the Denver Broncos. And he had recently tried out for the Eagles. And so, so that's one other things on the depth chart really that jump out to me. uh, You see that Justin McCrae is listed as a starter. That's because Kenyon green's injured. Otherwise I think you'd see Kenyon green there. Jalen Petrie is already listed as a starter. So he's right. earning a starting job. And Jonathan Owens is also listed as a starter. And they have a lot of money in Eric Murray
0: and right, less so in
1: Terrence Brooks, Grayland Arnold, guys like that. So I wonder, you know, because, you know, are they going to keep Murray at his price tag if he's not a starter? And that will be interesting to see, you know, and is Owens going to keep his grip on the starting job? Because that's kind of new for him. But, you know, they've been talking him up all offseason, even going back a lot in further into the spring. Texas coach Lovey Smith has, has been pretty high on him. But you know, they've already declared that Steven Nelson's a starter. I wasn't surprised at all by the defensive line starters. John Grenard, Malik Collins, Roy Lopez, Jerry Hughes. That's what we've been seeing out there.
0: Let's put a pin in Jonathan Grenard because I, I want to ask you a couple things about him in a second. Yeah. But you go back and you talk about those two rookies starting on the defense in that secondary Two two rookies in that secondary says a lot about them and uh, what the the team has thought about them since they've come to camp. Uh, Stingley, Pete, Jalen Petrie, obviously, who we're discussing here. Uh, I had a question I wanted to get to later, but seeing how we're on this subject, let me uh, propose it to you. For this year alone, and I know it's a small sample size, what we've seen, and Stingley's just now working his way back, if you had to make a wager on which rookie has the better season, you go on Petrie or Stingley as of right now. And, Aaron, obviously you've got the right to change in the future. But as of where you
1: sit right now. I need to see a lot more, you know, like any preseason games to really make that declaration. I I think really – You know, I wouldn't call it a hot take, but I think obviously Jalen Petrie's been a little more impressive and had a little more activity at practice. But for me to extrapolate that out to, you know, that that's going to mean a lot during the season because of how talented we know Derek Stingley is, third pick of the draft, I I just, I'm not sure. I think I'd be a little premature on that one.
0: If you ask me who's going to have the best career as of right now, I'm going to still say Derek Stingley Jr., but I. Before the draft, I don't know how he got on, out the first round. I, I didn't have him in my evaluation getting out the first round. Thought it was a no-brainer there for the Texans. Great pickup for them. This guy has some Buddha Baker in his game. He's got some D'Amico uh, Ryan mindset and personality. He's already talking and to vets and moving them around on the field. 2022? I would put money on Petrie and that's not to knock Stingley. That is not, I know if you ask the career, I'll say Stingley this year, I'm all in on Petrie on 2022. And I think he'll be that impressive. Now have a little bit of fun of that. Now you did mention Jonathan Grenard. when we We're talking about that unofficial depth chart. I went back and I was watching last night and uh, this evening as well. All of the throws Davis Mills made last year and through jumping through uh, the film there, I, I keep seeing on defense, Jonathan Grenard, Jonathan Grenard. And you just watch his technique, the balance, the long arm, 35-inch arms, the the spin move, the balance on that. And then he's a force in the running game either. Is Jonathan Grenard a 12-plus sack player if he plays 17 games this year?
1: I believe he has that capability. He's got the long arm move. He's got a lot of moves. He's got a growing repertoire of pass rush moves. He's an outstanding young pass rusher. They eight sacks last year. That's not an accident. And he could have had 10 if he had played the entire season.
0: Yeah, Eric. And so with that now – Jumping back a little bit, I think we lost you for a second, but jumping back a little bit, you were also talking earlier uh, on the injuries. And one position we left out was that wide receiver position. Uh, we all all know about John Metchie. We've talked about that, but also Chester Rogers, since he's come in, where's he at and how does he factor in? And also a guy that stood out today, Philip Dorsett, Uh, how competitive is this group to you? And I guess, tie that in with what we're seeing on the unofficial depth chart.
1: Very competitive with Chris Moore and Philip Dorsett. I think between the two of them, especially if Dorsett can remain healthy, they could have good production and steady play out of the slot position. They're a little different, right? Dorsett's a little faster. Chris is a little taller, shiftier. I I think great hands, Uh, obviously, you know, great ratio last year of catches to targets, 21 catches out of the 22 targets, a couple touchdowns had that big game against the Patriots. I don't feel like, again, I know a lot of people have said, well, why are not they going after Cole Beasley? Why aren't they doing this? What about this guy? Why don't they trade for someone? Honestly, they're not one player away. I don't think those guys Mm. like Cole are going to put them over the top. So you're probably better off just going with the players you have that you've already signed and invested in than just always swapping. I don't think that Nick, if you watch his roster movement, how he does things, he's not just making changes just for the sake of making changes. Now that he has a lot of guys, you know, on this team that he's comfortable with, that he's, you know, built some trust, you know, and I just don't think he's going to be arbitrarily changing a lot. These are players that are going to get a long look. And if he has to make changes later, he will, but Yeah, I think he's feeling good about Philip Dorsett
0: and Chris Moore. Now, at that wide receiver position, you mentioned Dorsett and Moore, obviously coming in behind Cooks and Nico Collins as well. Uh, They have Conley listed in that second tier there with Chris Moore, with Connor Weddington and Philip Dorsett in that tier behind them. My personal opinion, uh, uh, Aaron, by all means, disagree, but my personal opinion is – I think Conley's spot is more at risk out of those top six than anybody else's name, including Connor Weddington. I understand the vet and how Cesario sure and them like trusting the vets there at that wide receiver position and how he can play all three spots. But I, I would take Weddington and Dorset over Conley. Uh,
1: I'm not sure if they will see it the same way. I, I think that Conley, you know, has this background with them and and time that where he's established a little bit. He hasn't really set the world on fire, but he's a great athlete, uh, You know, 43-inch vertical, 4'3", big guy, and I think they're comfortable with him. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see him make the team again. Not that he's a lock, but, yeah, my expectation is that Chris probably makes the team.
0: Uh, there you go. and I'm, I'm going to say Weddington. I really like Weddington. Also, what he gets you on the return. Uh, man, really takes advantage of that 6'5 wingspan. We've talked about it in the past, how he's got the three years experience with Davis Mills. They're familiar uh, there, but it's going to be fun to watch that wide receiver group this Saturday against the Saints. We're going to get into that in a second, but lastly, when we talk about this unofficial depth chart, we see two guys, same at the halfback position, at the fullback position, with two guys sharing that spot, and uh oddly enough, today at practice, the same day that this unofficial depth chart comes out, we saw a lot of fullback work today, and obviously they were doing a lot around the gold line and a lot with their back to the gold line, but how much do you expect these fullbacks to be uh, involved? And obviously, they don't see a separation between the two. Are you hearing anything different?
1: I think that Annie Janovich has an edge over Paul Kwezenberry, but they're open-minded to it. They do love Kwezenberry, and They have kept him around now for about a year, so you know, we'll see, but it would not it would be a bit of a surprise to me to see Questenberry take out Janovich and take his job.
0: All right, before we let you get out of here, Aaron's got some uh, more breaking news, different things he's working on. NFL insider, Texans insider uh, for Pro Football Network. So stay is extremely busy, specifically today. But I do want to get his thoughts on this before we let him get out of here, and then I'll wrap up the show solo this evening. Saints first text this weekend. Aaron, give me a couple things that you're looking for. What What is your eyes going to be on?
1: You know, I'll watch you know, just see how much Davis Mills does. I do expect him to play. I want to see, you know, how smoothly he runs the offense, and you know, then you want to quickly get him off the field. Uh, I think I would probably pay even more attention or equal attention to the running backs and that competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and how much of it, you know, do we really see? Do they, you know, make it a competition in terms of carries where it's you know close in terms of workload and you can tell some things, and then. You know, some other spots, obviously I'm I'm very eager to see the debuts of, you know, Jalen Petrie, et cetera. You know, I felt like with, you know, Lovey, you know, when he said they're not quite there yet, I thought he was indicating that, you know, maybe Derek's not quite there yet or they haven't made a decision. More likely they haven't made a decision or they're not ready to announce their decision on whether Derek will play. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Does Derek play? Dino Vasa, the corners coach, was also noncommittal on that. But I'll be watching – for the rookies and new players. Uh, you like Rashim green and want to see, you know, how much does he use some of the older players like a Jerry user or Mario Addison? Do they even need to play preseason football? I uh, would tend to think no. And then, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you're always watching for news for injuries, things like that. Uh, Adam Shaheen is going to be at practice tomorrow. Oh, wow. You have him play in the first Are you breaking
0: news live on the, uh, on the show. Yes, <laughs> there you go. Uh, Aaron will just gonna drop. A- My understanding a- is
1: Adam is is going to get here in time to okay. Nice. Get on the field. We'll see him so tomorrow morning we'll if he uh, if if that can happen. But I, I think they're going to try to get him right out there.
0: Awesome. Well, that's awesome to hear, Aaron. I know you're extremely swamped with all the different things that's already broke this evening, articles you got to write up at Pro Football Network. I thank you for popping in for our Tuesday show, Houston Football Show. This is season one, only episode three. We're still getting our feel for it, but uh, it's great to have Aaron's expertise, not only with the decade-plus in the newspaper industry, but also the decade-plus as an NFL insider and since almost, what, the last seven years or so as that Texans insider. So, Aaron, I'm going to let you drop off. I'm going to fill them out, uh, fill them up with the rest of this episode and we'll catch you next week. And I'll see you at practice in the morning. All
1: right. Thank you very much.
0: Uh, All right, that's Aaron Wilson, Pro Football Network's NFL Insider, and your Houston Texans Insider as well as we host this uh, Houston football show every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Central Time. couple things we had lined out. I want to go ahead and get to this evening. I'm going to go ahead and run through them solo. Uh, it's not my first radio, so just stick with me. and we'll, Let's knock it off. We were just talking with Aaron about – what he's looking for in that Saints-Texans game, and there's a couple things that I'm looking into. Probably, I don't want to list these in priority because I'm really intrigued by all of them, and just like all of you, I've been missing, you know, live football, especially with the city of Houston uh, playing in the game. Uh, Nico Collins versus Paulso Adebo. Both of these guys were third-round picks last year, going in their second year. I absolutely loved Austin Debo coming out, had a great rookie season, hearing great things from him coming in the year or two. Now, Nico, there was rawness in his game coming out, but here in camp that first weekend, we saw struggles. Uh, we saw him tripping coming out of his routes. We saw drops that he should be catching. We saw drops on contested when he wasn't holding on through the contact. And those were issues we saw coming out of college. Those were issues we saw throughout his rookie season. But as the last week progressed, he continued to work with it on the sidelines after practices. A lot of times with Dylan Thompson, when he wasn't in a drill live, Dylan Thompson, former South Carolina Gamecock quarterback, uh throwing him the ball live, putting the ball all around a different catch radius, making him catch it, and watch the ball into his hand in the last week. He has put solid practice on top of solid practice day after day. And I want to see that transpire over in a Saturday's game. And if Paulson Adebos play in, even if it's only for a couple series, I want to see these two guys go at it. We're talking about both of these guys over six foot three, a cornerback in a second year, receiver in a second year. Let's get at it. This, I mean, if you're looking forward to something in the preseason, that's a battle. That's a battle to get your popcorn out for. Texas defensive takeaways, what we're seeing at practice, what you already know about Lovey's D, what we saw last year, the new players that's coming in, the identity is turnovers. I mean, this this isn't a huge revelation, but I'm just saying when you talk to people around the league or you hear people around the league talk, I should say, obviously, It's not positivity that is coming out frequently. One area that I think we're underselling it is in the takeaway. This lovey defense has solid players. They may not have the top namesake, but make no mistake about it. Jonathan Gennard is going to be a stud. If you tell me he plays 17 games this year, put me down for a floor of 12 sacks and a ceiling of putting him in elite company with 15 plus sacks. Yes. Would not shock me at all. If Jonathan Grenard comes in that 12 to 15 sack territory this year, watched, watch what he was doing last year. Didn't go through every snap, but when he was healthy, and when he was really on that tear, I think, I think it was seven sacks weeks, three through eight, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Man, the technique, the long arm, the spin move against the run, against the uh running game in the ground. Jonathan Grenard is a star on this defense, whether people Across the league, know it or not, he is a star. And they're adding other stars in here. They've got that uh, third level. They add two more stars blue chip playmakers in Jalen Petrie and Derek Stingley Jr. There's going to be bumps along the way with them both being rookies. And they hope that they've got that third level star in Christian Harris uh, that they found in the third round this year. Obviously, hasn't been able to show much at camp dealing with the injuries Aaron was just discussing a little bit earlier. But that group of linebackers, not only the first tier, three guys, and Lovey talked about how all of those guys are cross-trained at all three positions. They all are are very smart and know the defense and what's asked of them. They're comfortable with it, not only vet starters, but vet depth. But Christian Harris' speed and talent and Garrett Wallow with the way the teammates and coaches are raving about him, when they're 100% healthy, you expect them to be in that rotation. But it might be. Don't be surprised if even Christian Harris is not cracking that starting rotation over the first quarter or half of the season. It's not a knock on him. It's just the trust they have in that linebacker core. The Texans veteran pass rush, Aaron talked about it. Mario Addison, do these guys need the rush? Jerry Hughes, do they need the reps? And I, I, I agree with them. I don't think you need to put it out, put them out there at this age. I don't need them to see one snap. They're getting reps in practice in that Houston heat. They'll be ready for the season. They've, they've been to this show before. So let some of the other guys come in there, get the live reps and uh, get that film on them to see uh, who really should be the depth pieces behind Grenard and Addison and uh, Rasheen Green, um, <clears throat> Jerry Hughes, some of those guys as well. Chris Olave, I expect the rookie to play at least a little bit. Love Chris Olave, Polish, he will not play like a rookie. And I doubt Derek Stingley plays with the way they're being cautious with bringing them back from injury and giving them plays off and giving them days off as well. Just to be smart, I think that's the right philosophy to continue with. But whether it's Stingley um, or some other young corner out there, Tavier Thomas, uh, if Steve Nelson, which uh, Stephen Nelson, I doubt he would play as well, too, another vet that doesn't have nothing to prove. But uh, I want to see the corners, uh, these Texans corners, get that challenge of Chris Alave As I, I wouldn't expect Michael Thomas to play uh, at all with the time that he's missing now just coming back. And if you ask me one player on offense, one play on defense I can watch, Jalen Petrie, Damian Pierce. I'm legit fired up and excited to see what these guys do in their first action. Let Texans fans who haven't been able to come out to practice or watch some videos or highlights and stuff, to be able to see these young, I think, core pieces in this rebuilding franchise for uh, what they hope to build for the future. Petrie on defense has a mindset as a rookie of what D'Amico Ryan's had are as, as close to it. And now, as we all know, D'Amico's the D coordinator for the 49ers. They, they called him cap as a rookie. <coughs> Excuse me. This is the same rookie season. Mario Williams was drafted with the number one pick. The first pick of the second round, D'Amico Ryan's was the one getting called cap. I bring that story up because I think there's a similar parallel <coughs> with that draft. And what we've seen with the first and second round defenders drafted by the Texans this year. Derek Stingley, like Mario Williams, is the banner. He's the big name, bold letters. Jalen Petrie's the second act that's a great show or supposed to be sold that way. Year two, I mean, excuse me, year one, I think Petrie, his skill set, how he fits his personality, his mind, his passion. The way it meshes with what Lovey Smith would want out of a safety, I think it's hand in glove, and he hits the ground running. Damian Pierce, if you've paid attention to my Twitter, at Jason Braddock, and also he's got a million more followers than me, but if you're not following him on the off chance, follow at Aaron Wilson underscore NFL, all the breaking news, NFL, Texans, everything, hear from him first. Well, If you haven't been following my social media, then you may not know. So I'm going to just talk to you as if this is your first time hearing about Damian Pierce. Damian Pierce is running back one, and then the conversation starts way back here. It's not a conversation. Damian Pierce is the most talented running back on this roster. And he has that nose for an end zone that Aaron Foster had. Not comparing him to Aaron Foster. Just saying he has that nose for the end zone. Scene, uh and they're both playing in the SEC, and Pierce scored 16 touchdowns. I think 13 through the ground, three through the air last year for Florida and the SEC. And I put out a bunch of highlights, or about four highlights, not a bunch, of Damian Pierce, some of his runs out of the pistol, something that pep hamilton and his offenses know know a lot about and how damien pierce ran out of that pistol against georgia if you know anything about the nfl draft or college football you know the type of defense and players georgia had this year damien pierce played them like a fiddle i'm not exaggerating this is not hyperbole He has the patience with the power blend of a big back. He will press the hole to get defenders to overcommit through a hole only to quickly lateral step in one cut north and south. And when there's no more territory to be gained, then physical altercation is going to happen where he maximizes each run by a yard or two. Damian Pierce and Jalen Petrie, will be porn week one for Texans fans hoping to see football and like, oh, we only get preseason. It's not only preseason when you got talent like Damian Pierce and Jalen Petrie. I hope they at least get a quarter's worth of action to watch those two young studs. Also, just a little side note here, not going to go too deep into this, but I was looking over that Saints roster, and it it just it stood out to me. I meant to ask Aaron if there was a relationship there that I'm overlooking, I'm not thinking about, um between the Texans and the Saints because you look at their 90 man roster and 10% of it or people with ties to Houston either played for the Texans mostly or played at U of H and I'll just run through them quickly Bradley Roby, we know about Mark Ingram we know about Nick Martin Tyron Matthew is now there after leaving uh, to Kansas City uh, and he was replacing Kansas City by Justin Reed who Lonnie Johnson also went to KC with him so six degrees of separation here I'm getting off on a little tangent here but I mean we're talking about what nine ten guys here Tyron Matthew Bradley Roby, Peyton Turner from U of H uh, Hiram pick last year, Mark Ingram with the Texans last year, Nick Martin, Andy Dalton played Katie High School, Jaleel Johnson, Albert Huggins, and Eric Wilson as well. So again, 10% of the roster, just a little nugget there, thought it was uh, odd, and maybe something else that gives you a little viewing pleasure on Saturday, having that name recognition with some of the talent there, uh, talent there either from Uh, Houston professional or high school football there in their past or or college and Peyton Turner's case. All right. Now, I want to go back. Uh, I got a couple more things I want to touch on before we get out of here and put a bow on season one, episode three of the Houston football show. I briefly mentioned earlier that I went back and studied every throw Davis Mills made last year and I started late last night. I came home after practice today, uh, burned through some more film quickly, just watching Davis and the throws and everything around them. And one thing, well, side note, again, I'm getting off on a little tangent, but this is just a little quick side note. The Chargers game, everybody uh, talks about Davis Mills and how well he played in. Uh, 254 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Only sacked one time in that game. Did not realize That his starting offensive line – now, you're you're ready for this. His starting offensive line for that game against the Chargers was Jaron Christian Sr., Cole Toner, Jimmy Morrissey, Max Sharpen, and Charlie Heck. Man, I feel like sending, uh, you know, like a fruit basket, an edible arrangement to Davis Mills. 254, two touchdowns, no interceptions against the Chargers with that offensive line. And there's something else on this game that's significant that I'm going to touch back on here in a second. But uh, I got two games I didn't get to finish, week 17, week 18, against the 49 and Titans. After I get done with the podcast tonight, I'll go up and finish that, uh, the study on all the Davis Mills throws. But you may be asking, well, what led you to do this with Davis Mills? And the thing that led me to do so was that, Two things didn't match. They were polar opposite, to be honest with you. And whenever that happens, when my eyes don't match what maybe analytics or what's being reported, I'm like starting to question it. And the only way to find out the truth is to go to the tape. So I went and watched all the throws or uh, every game except the last two he had to this point. And the reason I did so is because Every day at training camp, and it's getting louder and louder. The mumbles are getting louder. Davis Mills lights it up when we talk about, and you look at the film last year, his pocket mobility, his accuracy, his superpower is probably anticipation, throwing it way before receivers and tight ends and backs even come out of their break or routes, giving a corner zero chance for a pass breakup. Once you factor in that anticipation and the pinpoint accuracy with the ball placement as well. And also toughness, not only uh, physical, but mental as well. Some of the shots he took last year, I swear Marcus Cannon must have hated Davis Mills because he just one game, three shots on him. Marcus Cannon at right tackle. Felt like a hit job to kill Davis Mills. It was tough to watch. But Davis Mills never changed. His demeanor never changed. He got up, didn't complain. He didn't do the passive aggressive, shake the head, throw the hands up. None of that. Just got back up. And this is a rookie who came into the year with only 11 starts since high school. The professionalism's insane. All right, I've gassed him up. I've put out when I was watching the film, I put out all these insane throws. Cause let me give you a little bit more positivity because you're going to turn on me here in a second. I know how you fanatics do. You're going to turn on me when I give you just, just a little bit of salt with all this sugar. But I'm going to have to give you that little bit of salt because it's a massive issue. It might not even be it. Somebody spilt the entire salt salt shaker. It's that big of an issue, I believe. And that noise at camp, uh w- when I went back and looked at the 2021 film of Mills. It mirrored up the struggles we're seeing. This one area we're seeing with Davis Mills and camp mirrored up exactly, unfortunately, with his film from 2021. And again, let me give you that last bit of sugar. Now, Mills, when you watch the tape, uh, a couple of things I recognized either at practices this year or either on his film last year, throwing to the tight ends, he's deadly. It's over. I mean, seam routes. And against zone, he will pick you apart. He's just picking it apart in practice. Same routes in zone. He'll just light up tight ends this year. Rolling out to his right. Go back and watch his film from last year. And when he goes out to the right, whether it's design, play action, bootleg, no matter what it is, if he gets out that pocket to his right, you're dead. Pinpoint accuracy on the road, velocity, ball placement. Again, I put a lot of these videos out there. All right. Let's move on. I've gassed him up. I've given you 99% positivity. I showed you how he compared with Mac last year and how the entire New England and uh, national media was gassing up Mac Jones this entire offseason. I showed you how Davis Mills rookie season, uh, how they mirrored almost exactly uh, to Mac Jones last year. And I put out there exactly the benefits Mac had over Davis Mills, and now he Max not having those benefits in camps and struggling, and it's what Davis dealt with with the entire rookie. I just told you his entire starting line for the Chargers game. So, all right, we've teased it enough. What has Mills been struggling with at camp this year? Every single practice, it's the same thing he struggled with almost every single game last year as a rookie the deep ball accuracy. He has none. And I'm not talking about, well, Jason, I've seen him throw a deep ball. I saw this stat. He was the highest rated quarterback rating on passes over 20-plus air yards. It's a stat. It means it has to be fact. Well, stats lie, as you heard. What does the film say? Ooh, bless his heart. That's the nicest way I can say it. That's the Southern way. That's the Southern way he, that's an. – I'll just leave it at that. That's the nicest way I can say it. Davis Mills in the deep ball, bless his heart. And if you're thinking, Jason, you're making too big of a deal. No, the consistency in his error is too high of a percentage for it not to be an issue. Go back and watch. And when you find those shots that he's hit, hitting, I'm not talking about those just barely 15, 20 yarders, 25, 30 yards longer, air yard passes. He's almost always short, and maybe the most dangerous aspect of this, almost always back inside to coverage, away from the receiver. When you're throwing those go routes or those sideline routes, just streaming down the side, you're coached to put that ball over the outside shoulder to where only the receiver can get it, even if the corner's on top of you. Davis Mills' deep passes routinely, at an extremely alarming rate are short. And inside, back to corners. And another area he struggles with, and this isn't something I would panic on, I'm not going to make too much about it, are still those nuances. And with his lack of playing time since high school, there in college, and then just obviously his rookie season last year with the pros, uh, I really wouldn't sweat it. I think we're going to see see it develop. And we're still seeing him grow, not only towards the end of last year, but this year in camp as well. We're not seeing him grow in that deep ball, so that's still concerning. But in this area, we're starting to see him grow, but he still has to grow uh show more and that's the nuances of uh when to throw velocity when to throw touch he'll have guys and you'll see it on the film last year streaming down the side if you just put a little bit of touch not too much where the guy on a, on a cover two, where you got that safety coming to top over the top quarterback underneath and there's that patch that safe zone to throw it into He still doesn't have the complete nuances of that to where he's throwing velocity throws back inside once again that we've seen corners make that uh, move playing that inside hip and get the pick off of to where if he just puts a little bit more touch on it, it just drops in the basket and still safely enough before the safety can close that gap coming over the top. Uh, I compare it to this. Uh, if you're a Madden player or when you were younger and you were playing Madden and you held down that button, and it's firing it in there and you don't understand why on go routes, it's always getting broke up. And then all of a sudden you tap the button and it's just got all this air and you don't understand why crossing routes are always getting broke up. And then you had to start figuring it out. That's where Davis Mills is at, and he's still learning on that. I'm not as worried about that. The deep ball, though, I am here to tell you. All the positives I've, I said, and everyone's going to have strengths and weaknesses. We're still talking about a third-round pick here going into a second year. So let's you know, let's put it into perspective here. But the deep ball is scary. Am, if, if I'm a Texans fan, am I worried about how much Davis Mills can open up the offense vertically? Now I know he can start stretching the field horizontally with drags and everything, and the two tight—you ty- know—just all the different looks. Vertically. I'd I'd really be concerned about Davis Mills on that deep ball and how he can keep defenders out that box, keep them from playing close to the line, keep them from shutting down the running game, and taking away the underneath passes, because last year, and a lot of this has to do, it was a bland offense. I'm not taking shots at anybody. It was a bland-born offense that you knew what was coming a mile away, and it's still, I guess that speaks a little bit more to Davis Mills production, that he was still able to overcome the offensive line injuries, the lack of the running game, but he he also put some of that, uh, some of those struggles on it, on it as well because defenses didn't have to fear him deep. Yes, I know the stat. Again, you're going to say, well, the 20-plus air yard passes." at E equals MC square. Uh, screw that. Davis Mills, go and watch the film game after game after game. Now, I'm going to leave you with this, though, because I put that little salt in there. I want to give you a little bit of dessert and let you know it's going to be okay. Just swallow it down. I told you I'd circle back to that week 16 game against the Chargers, where we had Jerron Christian Sr. at uh, left tackle, Cole Toner, left guard, Jimmy Morrissey, center, Max Sharping, right guard, Charlie Heck, right tackle, all backups. I mean, this year, the guys that are still on the team that are listed are backups for the offensive line, assuming everybody's healthy. The guys who aren't on this team are backups or should be out of the league. And this was a starting unit against the Chargers in his rookie season. But the biggest plus is what he did on two 40-yard pluses. One to Philip Dorsett and one to Chris Conley. He had a 40-plus air-yard pass to Dorsett coming off of his own goal line right before the half that. Uh, yeah, it's got a little bit of touch on it, but Dorsett's got a um, little bit of space window. We're not talking about three- to five-yard gap. Here. We're talking probably about one, one-and-a-half-yard window here. And he puts it up with enough touch, wanting to get off the back of the goal line and being safe enough to where it can drop in their back shoulder as well. Beautiful pass. Beautiful touch. And then on that same drive, if I'm not mistaken, we see him hit Chris Conley, 40-plus air yard once again. Tad bit inside. You want to see it again back on that outside shoulder. Tad bit inside. Conley has to slow down just a a tad. But I'm nitpicking on this. Compared to all the other deep passes, especially 30, 40-yard plus, plus. This was growth and this came at the end of the season behind a backup offensive line in its entirety with no running game. So that right there should give you the hope that, hey, even though we're not seeing that in camp, and I'll be honest with you out there at camp every single day, we're still seeing that struggle. And now that I think back to what I just saw on film it's what we've seen translate out there at, at training camp as well, where that ball's coming up short and inside and that equals picks. Lastly. We all know by now Davis Mills is a gunslinger. He has great film of fitting the ball into closing windows that are evaporating, doesn't look like there's any way, rolling out to his right, putting the ball downfield on some of the top corners in the league in an area that only the receiver can catch. I'd say in a football-sized area is what he puts the football in for his receivers to catch. But uh, he's not a complete quarterback. The lack of experience, though, and the potential and everything he shows, Should really get you excited. All right, we're going to put a wrap on it. It's game week, Houston, Texans, New Orleans Saints. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the game. We're back out at training camp. Check us out at Jason Braddock on Twitter, at Aaron Wilson underscore NFL. Jason, year-round Texans, I mean... (laughs) Excuse me. At Aaron Wilson at underscore NFL. No Jason on the end on that. All right. And add Jason Braddock on Twitter. Catch our videos. Aaron's breaking news from reports, assessments that's coming out there. My evaluations as well. And stay up to date with the Houston football show. We've got a new title sponsor. I can't wait to announce them next week. Uh, We have limited inventory available. We've made uh, budgeting and marketing available for any type size business, small businesses in Houston. Uh, we'd love to represent your brand. If you've got questions, uh, even when we fill up, we will have a waiting list for advertising questions. You know, just email us at houstonfootballshow@gmail. show at Gmail. I'm Jason Braddock for Aaron Wilson, for Mark Larson and Jonathan Dager Cole. This is the Houston football show until next week.